Hey, all right. So I am now on the line with it, Mr. Dante Nero. Um, you are a comedian, actor, relationship guru, philosopher, renaissance man, unintentional badass. You are a DJ, stripper, and a bouncer, and you are the podcast host and creator of Man School 202. Yep, that's me. Yeah, so Man School 202 is a weekly podcast to save men and women's relationships. Is that right? I would say so, yeah. <laughs> hey, what's up? How you doing today, Dante? I'm good, man. It's good to be here. Oh, definitely, man. Dante, um, you know, a big fan of yours, man. Keep it hunting, man. Yeah. But I, I'm curious, man. You know, um, I kind of want to, like, I guess, hear about your story and everything, man. Okay. So tell me, what what was your childhood like growing up in New York, man? I grew up, I grew up, uh, 80s and 90s, late 80s, 80s, 90s. Um, I uh was, you know, the crack era, the you know, the the era of mass incarceration. Um, Police brutality, Giuliani time. It was Giuliani time. Um, I grew up at a at a time when Brooklyn was uh, was real. Yeah, was real. So, um, you know, my dad, my dad at the time worked as at the parks department, which you know took care of all the parks in New York City. Um, he was a laborer, but he also did a lot of youth work within the community. Um, probably from 1935 all the way to probably when he was 70. Okay. He dealt with kids and did tournaments, basketball, track, netball, um, soccer, you name it, he did, did it all. Okay, this is up, man. I, I'm curious, man. So, uh, you know, I guess what was it like growing up in that household with your father, man? Well, my dad was a really dynamic uh personality very it was only five foot two but his personality okay. how how big are you man if he was five foot two I'm six one I don't know what happened but you know I always say I always say that's how they put the they put the steroids that's how you know they put the steroids in the chicken I'm proof of it uh, um but yeah he uh you know he was a uh, old school dude you know I mean that's a lot of a lot of where my principles come from, you know, keeping your word and stuff like that. Mean what you say, say what you mean. He used to mm. say stuff like that to me. Um, but, he, you know, he spent a lot of time with everybody else's kids. So in a way, as long as I was sub, I was young, too young to challenge him, it really wasn't a problem. When I started becoming uh, a, the kind of kid that would challenge him, uh, he kind of found that annoying, and I would say in a lot of cases, uh, uh, just um, he was very dismissive. Of was it was it disrespectful or? No, I think I think I think sometimes we need to be. Um, I was never disrespectful. I mean, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have, he wasn't having it anyway. Okay, but, okay. You know, so that wasn't even an option. But if you tell me. Um, Respect is a two-way street, then that's what it is. And so now I'm going to hold you to the same standards that you hold me to, even though I might be a child. Okay. I mean, wait, and, I, I, don't think, I don't think any parent wants to hear that. It makes sense, but I don't know how many, how many parents yeah, want well, to hear that. I mean, but this is, again, you know, a level of inauthenticity. Okay. Because you can't, you don't say that to people if you're not, like, one of the things that I believe in is I'm not telling anybody to do something that I wouldn't do myself. 
So when it comes down to that, any any deviation from what comes out of your mouth is a problem. And I, and and it's it's interesting because as I'm older, I found that um I, I found that applying these principles to everyday life makes everything better. And mm. when I say everything, I mean everything. Um. So I just I just recently had a little uh kind of a thing with one of my um one of my family members and uh I uh basically um I was I was on the radio and I said something about this is all true it was also my personal truth but my my family member got really upset because they didn't want to be exposed uh, they didn't want me talking about it but the I point is the truth man and then they they basically sent me an email uh, let me know that um, uh, I, that I hope that I'm I'm, I'm basically that if I'm going to talk about them, then they, I hope that I'm prepared to talk about my flaws. And anybody that listens, to, and this goes to show you how family members take it for granted that they need to get to know you. Because if anybody knows you, me, if you follow me, if you know me, if you just took a little bit, of, I don't hide anything. Okay. You know, and I don't hide anything for that same for that reason, so that somebody can't tell me to that they're gonna expose me if I'm telling the truth. Uh huh. So it really, um, it really that really makes me want to talk about it more. You know, <laughs> um, but but I'm also older and I'm a little more mature, and I realize that my whereas I would get get my feathers rustled and I would just go in. Um I say I have heard about that man. I heard you was a wild boy back in the day, man. Yeah, it was a little wild, you know, which, <laughs> but it really it really came, you know, my dad was like super overprotective. So he would always don't go there, you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna go out, don't play out in the street, you're gonna get by he was just so, you know, like negative about everything. Something's always gonna happen. And I think that comes from uh, well, let me. So I, so he kind of instilled a fear in me. Okay. And so I was afraid of everything. And I honestly, I just got to the point where I was, a, I was tired of being afraid. And so my, my, my. So what? A long time ago, I realized I, I must have been twelve, thirteen, and I realized that fear, fear exists between when, um, when the when an opportunity is presented to you. Uh huh. And how long it takes you to access that that opportunity? Oh, I understand that definitely. Yeah, yeah. So the longer you take to to access it, the the more the fear grows. Ah. The more intense the fear is. That makes sense though. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, like when you first started, I know you did a little salsa. Yeah, man. Salsa. A little, when, you a little first, salsa. <laughs> when you first go to your your socials, uh huh, you're afraid to dance. Oh, okay. and you already and, know it. And the longer you take to get out there, good, bad, or indifferent, the, right. the more the more it starts to build it up. Yeah, it starts yeah. to build up, man. Yeah, the, the fear builds up, and so I learned that at a very young age. And then I realized that if I confronted the, the quicker I confronted the fear, the less it would affect me. The problem with that is, <laughs> then you become very reckless um, <laughs> because as soon as something fear or you start to feel that fear. I'm running into the I'm running into the burning building, you know, mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, it got to be a habit. It actually became almost an addiction. Then, 
Um, I think I, I realized that the accolades that I would get from my peers for being the guy who would run into the burning building and like, man, you're crazy. But it, it was really, it all really came out of fear. Ah. Um, then I think you get to a point also where you, you kind of decide uh, that, you know, stepping on the gas all the time is not always necessary sometimes it's like you know i did a little martial arts in here and there and and one you know i did a lot of different i dabbled in a lot of different styles took a little aikido took a little jiu-jitsu to uh brazilian jiu-jitsu okay one of the things i even took problem of god now if you don't know anything about problem of god that's like that a russian writer not russian but like jewish the jewish massage oh okay okay it's really Massage, it's like a, a combat form of right, like, right, defense, right. but it's forward, forward, forward. Everything goes forward. You're constantly attacking. You even when you block, you're attacking. It's kind of similar, like Wing Chun, ain't it? Well, Wing Chun will trap. Will well, trap but it's like always coming forward, though. That's what I mean about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you will trap, but with with Krav, you're always striking. You're always aggressive. Krav Maga, that's like brutal. They got like eye, eye gouges and shit, right? Yeah, that's like... yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's real, you know, because it's combat. You're combat, about, yeah. Uh, it's war. like for the military, right? Isn't it for the military? Yeah, the uh, Russian, the Russian one you're talking about is called Sistema. Okay, okay. Other... I'm thinking something totally different there. But, but what you find sometimes, but you know, in martial arts, it's a it's sometimes. I mean, if you're a boxing fan, you watch somebody like Mayweather who sucks the guy in and exhausts him. So there's there's more than one way to skin a cat, of course. and knowing yeah. all those ways is always better. Of course. But, uh, but I digress. Um, my point being is that you learn this. Like I, I I always say on the show that true wisdom is the understanding of underlying concepts, how they relate to situations that seem irrelevant but really are not. Meaning. At the root core of everything that we learn is a lesson that right. we should learn. And if we learn that lesson and we really understand it, then we can reapply it in every situation over, over and over and yeah. over again. And so, you know, if you talk about sometimes, sometimes you retreat, sometimes, you, I mean, you know, strategy in in martial arts and fighting is sometimes you counterpunch sometimes you're aggressive yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and having those variations in those uh, and then the, the scope of the spectrum of what you could do is something that makes you just makes you a, a more complete fighter and it also makes you a complete fighter you know in terms of emotions in terms of relationships in terms of in terms of your life and you're you're fighting to keep happiness to maintain happiness and sometimes there's different tools for different things, and you need to have those tools so that you yeah not, yet you don't succumb to you know. Uh, it's kind of like that uh, thing, like you got it. Not everything's a hammer, or when you yeah, when you are a hammer, not everything's a, hammer, a nail. You know, a hammer a, a hammer just doesn't do a doesn't doesn't really good do with do good with screws. Exactly, know? exactly. So, um, I want to ask you this real quick, yeah. Rafa. I want to ask you this, man. Um. You know, going back to like you know, true wisdom and everything is like underlying. What, what did you learn from being such a wild boy? You know, like what what did that teach you? What was the underlying thing from that? Oh, uh, I think I found out that everybody's afraid. Ah. Uh-huh. No matter who you think, the how tough the, the unless he's a sociopath or psychopath, <laughs> but everybody, but even that, even those, they got there's somebody that they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, people don't want conflict. And when met with conflict, real conflict, 
they will back down. 98, 99% of the people don't want it. Oh. Um, and the guys and the ones who don't want it are they're really a breed apart. The who do want it are really a breed apart, you know. Um, real warriors. Yeah. Know, like built for that. But most dudes who just they just yapping. I mean, you find that. But but what's interesting is that's even true to people's sincerity. I mean, the people, everybody wants to be remembered, you know? Everybody wants to be remembered in their death and they're willing to do whatever they need to do, even if it's, a, even if it's fraudulent, you know? Hey. So um, that's one of the things I learned is that everybody's scared. I remember um, years ago watching Mike Tyson and um, I was just watching that dude's a beast. Yeah, and I was watching him in the in the, you know, he was in the dressing room. They were oiling him up and and rapping and doing his raps, and everybody was saying, "You the champ! You gonna kill him! You gonna get!" And it, and it, I just thought it was odd that they were like, so positive, like you're gonna kill him, you gonna do. This. And then when I realized, wow, this is a situation where they're actually hyping him up. Uh-huh. So I couldn't understand why. But maybe what we would have perceived as the baddest man on the planet, why does he need to be hyped up? If he's really that dude, uh-huh. what I mean, we should we, we should be, you know, we should be listening to music. <laughs> you know, I mean, what is the what is this necessary? Right, mode? right, right, right. Um, and it 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 it, it made me realize that wow. Uh, even him. Even him. Even Mike Tyson has a fear. You know, has is is dealing with that fear and trying to managing manage that fear. When you understand that, puts you in great company. You know, when you when you are managing that on that level. You know. Okay. So, I I, I, I want a I want a toy truck. What? But Santa Claus. Oh oh, hold on one second, Santa Claus. I got. I'll be right back. Uh, hey, if you could leave a like and subscribe for the show, that would be amazing. Uh, let's get back to the episode. So, I, I, I'm curious. I wanna, uh, I wanna, I wanna hear about what is a uh, maybe like the wildest thing you've done trying to overcome fear. Um, <laughs> I jumped out of the second floor window on a okay. dare. Now it wasn't even a second floor window. It was like uh, I was on orientation of college. Okay. I went to SUNY New Falls upstate, and there was this uh, huge uh, structure wall uh, that surrounded. The thing, and then literally the wall was. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how big I can say the wall. So, it, uh, five, I had to say thirty feet. 30 okay. Five feet. Okay. Wow. And man. somebody dared me to jump over it, and by the time they were daring me, I was over the. I was already over. The, <laughs> Wait, so hold on. You were you were jumped over the wall. Or you were on top of the wall. I jumped over it to the ground. Down. Hey. Maybe thirty-five. And don't get me wrong, I, I like so, I you know I was in the martial arts, so I I would try to hit and roll, but it was just the momentum was so I just when I hit my all I could feel was the bones in my feet were crack 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 crack. Wow. Didn't break anything, but I sprained my foot, my knee, and I was I spent the rest of the time with a with a cast on with a soft cast. On. <laughs> but I mean, it was. Uh, you know that that was kind of my thing is okay. it's to uh, it was to confront those things as quickly as I could. I get, get you. them out the way, and then after a while it becomes easy to do. 
you don't even have the fear. If you it do, comes uh, like a, a reaction, right? It's like uh, yeah, this is it. And then I, I, I had a situation where I got into a scrap with some dudes, and there was like uh, two dudes, and I'm, and I was in my mind, the, the dude was real disrespectful, and I was like, yo, I'm, I wanna, I wanna teach this dude a lesson. Like my, in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna break this dude's arm. And it was funny as two of them. <laughs> so hold on, hold on. Was you like in? What was you like in the club? What was you at, man? At home? No, I was like, actually what? on my mo. I was on my. I was riding my motorcycle, and um, at the time, everybody had these fluorescent green. I had this this bike that looked like it was straight out of the book of Eli. Okay. Like this. I remember this, that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, post-apocalyptic joint. <laughs> and this kid, I'm I'm waiting at the light, and this kid goes. Um, Yo, I'll buy you. I'll buy your bike for you, from you for five dollars. That'd be disrespectful. Okay, yeah, right. I tried to joke at me. You in, I go, how about I punch you in the mouth for three? <laughs> and uh, he was like, "What?" And I got off the, I got off the bike, and I, and we was scrapping. And I remember at the time, I, I was, I remember specifically, I was going to my my stepdaughter's uh, parent teacher meeting. And uh, I'm out in the street, scrambling with these dudes. Okay, wait, is it one of them or wait? How many? It's two. It's two. two. Okay, what? It was two, and uh, and I had one of them down, and I'm trying to lock him in. I was older, and they were younger, kind of wiry, twenty year olds, you know. And I was trying to lock him in to pop his elbow, and the other dude hit me over the back with a garbage can. <laughs> oh my god! Then. Uh, I grabbed him, and it was like I—I I, was just too much. It, they were too fast. They were too young. But my, but afterwards, I thought to myself, what if this dude had a screwdriver? What if he had a knife? Oh. Like I—I I was so didn't have any fear in the moment. I didn't even have healthy fear, you know, like self, there was no uh, self-preservation. Like, yeah, I—I was, I was just—it just like if you check my heartbeat, my heartbeat was level. <laughs> you know, just wasn't excited, and I was just like, "This is what I'm gonna do." I want, I wanted to be the story that he told his grandchildren. Yo, you, this is why you don't talk to strangers and be disrespectful. Okay, I, this is what happened to me. This guy was on a motorcycle and he broke my arm. In my mind, that was the whole thought. And afterwards, um, you know, we heard the sirens. They broke out, whatever, and uh, I thought to myself, I didn't even have reasonable fear, you know, where I, I, uh, I could have got, I could have been dead. Yeah. So, I mean, that can happen too, where you get to the point where you can't even. Did that make you, did that make you, I guess, like reassess your life or reassess yourself yeah, at I that point? reassess some things and calm, you know, like, listen, you, you way off the, off the deep end, you know. <laughs> you got there feel like Superman. Yeah, like, well. <laughs> You know, I mean, I also pledged Q. I don't know if you're familiar with the fraternities. Uh, I know of it. Okay, so I pledged Q, which is one of the hardest fraternities to get in, and that the abuse from that was was something that I'd never. And then the the ability to take it, like you you, you don't fight, but so you take so it. so you definitely went through hazing. Hazing was a thing. I mean, I always get people always argue with me because I'm the only one that's, that admits to it. But it's 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 in black letter in black Greek letter fraternities it's rampant. I don't know if it still is, but it was when I pledged. And can you can you speak on it or no? I mean, we they beat us up. You know, okay. I mean, I don't know what you, okay. you know what I mean. Put the hands on you. 
Yeah, I mean, you got paddles and just like school days, the whole, you know, all of that. Okay, comes okay, I understand. Um, but ma- ma- imagine ten times worse, you know. Ah. So the, the and let me, I always say this: the, the hazing, the purpose of the hazing was, you know, we as as African Americans, as black people that built this country, um, our ancestors went through that. Of course. Sometimes just so that we could read, like people could get caught reading and have their eyes gouged out. Okay. Could be so here's a situation where you got black you got young black men and women who have an opportunity to go to college to get an education that your ancestors fought for and you don't want to go to class because you was drinking too much the night before. When you have ancestors that have have died so that you can get an education. Yeah, definitely. You know? Um so that you know that uh, I always make that the caveat of what the hazing was it was an opportunity to see to look at a window through your ancestors through slaves uh, your through your ancestors who were slaves look at through what they went through the difference was at any given time i could say i quit i don't want to be in your club but your ancestors could never say could i not. quit i don't want to yeah. be no more nah. so, so you, you, are you saying you were appreciative of it? Like, is that what you're saying, or what? I mean, I understood uh, why they did it. I guess. On one second. Yeah, I got you. All right. Hello. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, um, you know, I mean, we. You can't go back. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I think that there's always better ways to learn things, you know. Yeah, I okay. Didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to go through that to learn these things, but I went through it in this, you know, it, it is what it is, you know. Okay. So I want to ask you, let me ask you this, man. I guess, um, you know, go back to your childhood and everything, man. So, you know, I guess you're growing up with your father and everything. Um, Where was your, where was your dad and mom from? Where was your mother and father? Were they from New York? Where were they from? Uh, my mom was my mother was from Virginia. What part of Virginia? Southern. Uh, okay. A little town called Zunai, Virginia. She okay, was like wow. a little mountain town, uh, a couple thousand people. Um, her grand, my grandfather was Sioux or Monacan Indian, and my All right. Native American. All right, I can American. see you. Right, my, can um, see you being Native American. All right. Yeah, and um, that's probably crazy. And my, uh, my mom was, you know, southern descendants of my grandmother was descendants of slaves. Okay. Um, on my dad's side, my dad's father was from Antigua in the West Indies. Okay, yeah, yeah. And my grandmother was half white, half black, half white from Boston. Uh, she was very, very fair skinned, great, uh, gray eyes. She, um, she was at a time when you couldn't came out as it was a product of a mixed yeah, relationship. I don't even know the story of that. Um, maybe it was consensual. Maybe I don't know. But uh, she um, she was in an orphanage. She grew up in an orphanage. Okay. Uh, because you couldn't be you couldn't be half black, half white. You know. Um, yeah. So she grew up in an orphanage, and um, then she met my grandfather, and they moved. I think they first lived in Harlem, uh, and then they moved to Queens, and then ultimately to Brooklyn. Okay, 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 yeah. man. So uh, I'm part coconut and part yeah. cornbread. <laughs> so, you know? so, 
So you, you go to New York, man, and everything. Um, and, and you say you went to college, man. Uh, what what made you go to college, man? Uh, what did you go to college? It was just something that my father didn't go. My father had an eighth grade education. Okay. My mother had a sixth grade education. It was just something at the time. That's what you did. Okay. You know what I mean? Like as as a if you could, my father worked a civil service job. My mom was a stay at home mom, but she babysitted kids all the time like and i mean babies like 13 14 kids at a time ah. um but it was just something that you did i got uh three older sisters two of which one of my sisters has a master's degree one of my other sisters has two master's degree and one just really good at math but didn't didn't go to college okay so it was just a thing that we did at that go, time yeah so, okay i mean that's probably uh your parents are probably very proud of you to even go to college right yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, well, my sisters had already gone and got degrees. Are you the, are you the youngest? I actually didn't finish. I didn't are you finish the youngest? Huh? Are you the youngest? Yeah, I'm the baby. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I, actually, could... I didn't finish school um, because I realized I, I went I went away more to get away than to get an education. Okay, yeah. I understand that. Yeah, yeah, My dad was an exceptionally big personality. Okay. And I was in his shadow, and I just wanted to kind of get some space so that I could find my own place. You know, I understand, that, man. Yeah, I, I'm curious, man. Uh, uh, I guess I already know about it. I know you were, <laughs> you know, a stripper at one point. How did that come about, man? I was in college. I was I was a Q dog. Um, they did a they did a benefit toys for tots or something like that. And and so if you know anything about Black Greek Letter organizations, the major the oldest uh, fraternities are Sigmas, Kappas, uh, Qs, and uh, Alphas. That was the four major. And then you have Sigma Phi Rho, Iota Phi Theta, and uh, you know these other ones that came around in the 70s and so. Um, so each one was represented. There was a guy who was supposed to do it for the Qs. He canceled the last minute. They needed somebody to fill in. And who else better than me? I was kind of a wild I was always wild so they was like well get him to do it he'll do it <laughs> and I did it um I also had uh from my neighborhood there were guys who I knew were doing it before right up before I went to well maybe not before I went to school but during me going to school I knew that they were male exotic dancers and stuff like that and um so I knew that they were doing it and I, you know, I had a good body, and I, you know, chicks like me, and I was like, oh, this might be cool. okay. So he's a little so player, player then. With a girl, and I asked the girl if she would mind me doing it, which is a different me, which is a way different <laughs> me than now. And she was like, no, it'd be great. You can make some money. This that we were living together in college, and so I always wanted to do it, and I didn't. I, I didn't when I got when I I actually uh, I'm not sure when I left school. But I was working with emotionally disturbed kids, and I got attached to a kid who didn't have anybody, and they ended up shipping him to a uh, sanitarium, and I, it really kind of broke me. Because um, I used to bring this kid who was an orphan, I used to bring him home with me on Christmas and holidays and stuff like that. Yeah. And they, you know, the system is just not set up to cure people or to give people a shot. And I, I lost track of him. And when I lost track of him, um, it just really broke me. And I, and yeah. I left school. Um, okay. So I was sitting on my, laying on my, sleeping on my mother's couch. 
And um, I ran into one of the dudes who was stripping, and I was like, all right, I, I can do this. This is light and lively, you know. <laughs> um, I was still with the girl that I had lived with in college, um, and that really wasn't going well. Uh, wasn't going well. She was very abusive, emotionally abusive person. Yeah. And I was just a nice guy, and I was taking it. You know, like I would be in the street and she'd be yelling at me in the street. It's crazy. Like when I think about who I am now, who I was then, and I would be like, come on, just stop. Just wait, you know. Um, I mean, you, you but, grew up, though. You, you grew up, man. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, well, I think a lot of people go through that in their life and they stay in that place. I just one of the things I think that always helped me is that whatever situation I was in. I. um. Whatever situation I was in, I just I knew that um, um, I wanted to be better. I wanted to have a better situation. So whatever I learned, I tried to apply it. And, and I mean, so when people look at me in terms of whatever my accomplishments, it was that wasn't really the focus. The focus was just to be in the present and kind of work, you know, do the best that you could. And it yeah. becomes these little baby steps that end up being, you know, when I think so how far I've, you know, evolved, it's just that I don't even think that was in my in my thought process. It was just, all right, this is something to learn. Don't do that no more. This is wrong. Mm. Don't do that. Don't do this. And then all of a sudden the path is revealed because all the other paths are become eliminated. You know? Let me ask you this, man. I, I, I feel like... I feel like we all try and learn from our mistakes, but I, really. I think I think oh no, I mean okay. I mean you see people doing the same things wrong over okay. and over and over again. It's so, insanity, okay. Yeah, so I mean I I mean if you think about it, you probably could count on one hand the people that make mistakes and don't make those same mistakes again. You know, okay. if you really if you go through your rolodex of people who you know. Most people do the same shit over and over and over again and wonder why they, you know. But, I mean, it's also fear. It's a lot of things, you know. I mean, it's a lot of things. It's fear. It's it's uh, people have a level of comfort with what they're familiar with. Yeah. You know, any number of things. But. So, let me ask you this, man. When is it, uh, I guess, when is it too late to get out of a pattern? I don't think it is ever. Okay. I mean, you know, I always say happiness is, is a decision away. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had guys who I, you know, who I, straight punks. Just, just let people take me. And I say, I used to always say, the greatest thing about being a punk is tomorrow you don't have to be. You know, it's a matter of you making a decision. Okay. And even though that decision seems to be something so far reaching from what you're, what, what you're, what you're capable of, it's really not. It's just, a decision, anything that you had a hard time to do, when you if you take the plunge, you know, usually when you look back on you go, wow, that wasn't hard at all, you know. Okay. It's the fear that stops you from doing yeah. it. Yeah. You know? So. Now I understand that, man. I understand. That. I'm curious, man. Um, you know, I guess what did you uh, what did you learn from I guess uh your your stripping days, man? Did you learn anything from that? I mean, I definitely understood attraction. I think, okay. Uh, understanding how women think and how they think different than men and attraction because not understanding attraction and your when your business is sex if you don't understand that you 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 starve 
Okay, okay, as a stripper. Okay, as oh, as yeah, a male exotic you dancer. You have to be able to 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 see what's what in order to to move forward. You know. Uh huh. So. And so I'm I, curious. Were you uh were you like a, uh, I guess were you a superstar back in the day, man? Was you like living? Yeah, nice it was pretty that? big. It was pretty out of control. I mean, I put it to you like <laughs> this. I had a uh. I had a I had a bump on the radio on on the premiere oh, radio like, station. You know how you go, okay. like, yo, this is Kendrick Lamar. When I ain't keeping my radio on, such and such. Uh-huh. I had a I had a bump. I had oh, a, back I okay. a stripper. I had a bump on the radio. <laughs> okay, know? man. But honestly, that wasn't my intention. My intention was just to be good at it. You know, I was doing it, and I wanted to be good at it. Uh-huh. And you know, and I wanted to make money at it. And I, I don't. A lot of times, I don't even realize. It's funny when I run into people who knew me back then and they talk about how extensively people knew me and knew you know what I did. I don't even remember that. I was so focused on the work. Ah. Just being better and you know, just doing the work and then okay. all those different things. You know. Yeah. You know, sometimes I wish I was more aware. I might yeah, but you know what I can't front. I had a ball. It was fun. I mean, it sounds like it's, it might have been a cool lifestyle, man. Well, I had a, I had a bunch of cool dudes that I kind of made and I choreographed them and I did. I actually did costume design. I taught myself how to sew <laughs> and I would sew other people's costumes. And okay. I would choreograph their acts to, to 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 overcome their weaknesses and stuff. And then I had a group. I started a group. Uh, the group was called Wet Seduction. It was thirteen members. Um, <laughs> And then I even the marketing, like we, I had a guy make long Western black dusters with the logo on the back. And we used to all walk in, like when they weren't working, they had to come to my shows. And okay. so we would walk in 13 deep with black Damn. dusters. It looked like, you know, it looked like Tombstone. We walked in like Tombstone and, and just, and that kind of helped, you know, everybody kind of know who we were because we rolled as a unit. It was just a marketing tool, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after a while, they started getting work, too, and so we didn't, you know, we were all in different directions making money. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm curious, but I, well, all I like to talk about is, you know, I guess, like, your beginner stage in learning something, man. So I asked, like, dancers that, but I guess for you, man, what was your beginner stage like and, and I guess, stripping, man? What was that like for you? Well, it just, it just, I was looking at, I just, you know, I have a philosophy about learning in general, and uh, I, I think there's always a great thing to have rules of engagement, you know? Um, so when you want to learn something, the first thing I, I say is do the research. Do as much research about whatever you're trying to learn. Then find a mentor, mm. somebody who you think is credible, somebody who you think is good at what they do, and they're doing it themselves or have right. done Right, right, right. Level of, level of success, or at least confirmed by some of the best people in whatever you're learning that this is the guy. And then shut up and pay attention. Okay. And listen, you know, and 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 remove your fear and remove your 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 uh, your ego. Humble yourself to the process, and then absorb the process on on a level that you know, where you just have this openness. And what happens is you start to learn. And then when that, when you learn, you learn, you learn, and eventually you outgrow your mentor. Ah. And it's time to find another mentor, somebody okay. better. And so 
you know, and you, you you don't always have like for instance, stripping wasn't something where they were mentors, but there were guys who were who were hot and who were making money, and you you had I had to, you had to do it on your own just by observing. You know, you had to observe what they did, and then how can I make this better? Right, you know? right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so but you... it's all incremental too. Yeah. You know, a lot of times I'll counsel guys because you know I do the one-on-one consultations and stuff like that. And I'll counsel guys, and they were like, "Well, I'm not you." And I go, "But you don't understand that I was you, right, right, at one time, exactly." So it, everybody's a process. I mean, I know you salsa. When you when you first watch dudes, you're like, "It's intimidating." Yeah, yeah. It's like, how could you remember (laughs) this? this?" And then you know, when you do it, it just it it comes to that. It gets yeah. No, it's so true, man. That's why, like. I go to like dance conferences, you know, where there's just people coming to dance, man. It's like yeah. it can be intimidating, but it can also be kind of inspiring, man. Just to see like but you also wait, realize but... that nobody cares. Everybody has their own fears and they're oh, yeah. with their own shit a lot of times. And you think they're watching you and they don't even care. A lot of times they have their own fear that they care. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's real talk, man. Yeah. So so you know, you're you're doing your stripping thing and everything, man. And um I guess what what makes you stop? Like, why do you why do you get out that business? Is it age or? I always say I always say this is how you know when to quit stripping. When you got to real when you got to figure out whether you wear your g string over your stomach or under your stomach. <laughs> That's when you know it's time to quit. <laughs> I mean, you know, I could have probably got back, but the, the business it had its time, and it 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 just. How long were you doing it? Like almost ten years. Okay, wow. Yeah. That was and that was your full time job, right or what? Uh, well, it was my full-time job until I started working with the phone company. I was out working for the phone company in 94. I probably started uh, dancing in 89, 88, hey, okay. something like that. And I stopped at around 89, 98, 99, something like that. <laughs> so you still was going out with the belly or what, at times? No, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I was still, when I, when I started, when it started getting harder to keep in shape, I, oh, know, okay. I just stopped. I but, understand, um, man. I understand. The problem was that you you create a level of uh, of credibility, and this is um, it was weird because my mom was like, "Why don't you get a job with some with pen with a future with pension?" What you don't understand is that I, I your credibility is your pension because like even now I run into I run years you know we're literally talking twenty years later. They were like, you still dance? You want to? I'm like, do you? are you even looking at me? Like, no, I don't dance. But, but they remember that. They remember you being that dude. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. So. Oh, let me ask you this, man. I didn't get a chance. Um, Tell me, man, what kind of what kind of impact did your mother have on you, man? My mom was, um, she was a stay-at-home mom. She was one of the sweetest ladies. Very sweet, kind woman. Um... And I think I learned empathy from her. She had my hey. father was a really strong dude, and my mom was really strong too, but in a quiet way, like a a, a really calm, quiet power. And she had to be because my pops was a maniac; he was all <laughs> over the place. And so she just always kept that even keel, you know, which was his. I think that was his balance, you know. Okay, now I understand that, man. I definitely understand that. So. So you know you're doing your stripper thing, and then you move to the uh, telephone company. At yeah. What then point... I then I I ran for office as a union delegate for the telephone company. Or... Yeah, I, I was okay. a, 
you know, I learned, I mean, it's a, it's a technical job. Yeah. It was interesting for a while. And then I got bored and then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to run for office and, and I'll be a union delegate. And I did arbitrary arbitration. And, um, I think the most people I had under me was like 300 people, 299 okay. people at one time that I was responsible for, um, just fighting for their rights. And I did that for a while. And, and then I, um, after a while, they, even that, I kind of got bored with that. Um, so are you still with the telephone company? Yeah, no? yeah, and I still, I'm still a delegate. I'm still, I still do arbitrations and stuff like that. Um, you know, because I, it was a responsibility that I took. Plus, yeah. it, it kind of frees me up to do the things that I want to do. Okay. I'll, I'll... Um, but it was, um, you know, it was kind of a thing that just kind of happened and then okay. I then I ran out and I needed something else more creative to do I needed a creative outlet I'll say yeah well, when did you start doing stand-up man well I didn't start well I ran a I, I had a clothing line before oh that. okay I had a clothing line I mean what I, was the name bounce, of it? I bounced and I had security companies and I did stuff like that but I had a clothing line the name of the clothing line was Dante Rogus hey sure enough we, we, we had, we, you know, it was going well and we had some placement, but I realized that I always wanted to do stand-up and I was doing this clothing line so I wouldn't have to do stand-up. Oh, it's an excuse, huh? Yeah, it was an excuse. Oh, I'm doing this now and then, and I, um... Well, hold, hold on, Dante. Dante, real quick, man. I want to hear about all your stand-up career. Real quick, man. Tell me your crazy story from bouncing. I don't want to skip over that. I mean, it's so many. I, I, I mean, not just bouncing, but stripping. It just, I was just, I mean, it was, a, let's just say it was a 90, and it was a 90s was a time where you knuckled up. Hey. I mean, you could get shot at. And of stuff, course. But, but a lot of times, you you knock a dude out, he don't really have time to get his gun. So, <laughs> so what, just give me, give me one. Give me one story from bouncing, please. And I was doing a show in Brooklyn, and it was at the time, so let me, preface this by there was a time when you couldn't have a party without a stripper like uh -huh. every party had a stripper you had a male and a female like so if it was a party you know regular regular dance party a club party promoters they would hire a stripper a male stripper and a female stripper and at some point in the time of the night they would shut the music down to take the center and you would strip in the middle of the floor and you make your money and this go. This a different kind of party, yeah, all right. Yeah, so it was like kind of the entertainment of the night. Um, I was doing it, I was in, I was deep in the hood. I was like, uh, I was in Williamsburg, right in the hood, Bed-Stuy in Williamsburg, and, um, and they, I let the girl go on first so the guys could feel, you know, appeased. And I went on, and a dude, uh, they were, on, it was a balcony, and they were chanting to the music, "Go faggot, go faggot, go." That's, <laughs> that's disrespectful. I, that first thing might have been, but that's disrespectful. And they were taking beer and throwing beer at me off the off the. That's disrespectful. So I said, um, I know I remember telling them to stop the music, and I said, "The next next month we're gonna throw beer at me. I'm come up there and knock them out." And they were like, mm, grumble, grumble, grumble. Because, you know, they figured they had the numbers. Right. And uh, I think what happened, I think, I'm, it's, it's a little vague. I think I was doing some stunt with a girl on the floor, and her man, her ex-man was there. He yells, he, I think he comes down, he grabs me by the shoulder, 
comes downstairs, forget yeah, the yeah. guys are in the balcony, comes downstairs, grabs him by the shoulder, I drop him. I hit him. Uh-huh. But I you you know, you a lot of times you would be in these places by yourself. So I could be in the Bronx, I could be in Staten Island, I could be in Queens, Freeport, in the hood, by myself. Oh, yeah. So you gotta, you always had to keep your eye out. So the guy who, who put his shoulder, put his hand on my shoulder, you clocked what the group saw. So I knew he had two other guys with him, and he came in with two other guys. And so after I hit him, I ran right to the other guy. One guy was sitting down at the table. I hit him, and then I hit his friend. They weren't even paying it, like just clean house. <laughs> Um, and, then, and the reason sounds crazy, but it's it not. Does. It's really more strategic than anything. You know, once somebody, if you ain't really about it, and somebody knocks you in the mouth, like I always say, guys are always tough till they get punched in the mouth. Hey, you get punched, but then you see really what a dude is made out of. And if you you drop a dude, fight's over. So, <laughs> and if and if. If you with your crew and both of them is holding their mouth, one's holding their eye, one's holding their mouth, and one's out, you, you know, you, you good. Yeah. You have the upper hand. Plus, you have the fear that they're dealing with, like, wow, this guy. So I remember them kind of rushing at me, and I was popping dudes over. Like, somebody was about, there were bouncers there that were, like, breaking it up. And I'm saying, is you versus the audience right now? Like, what's happening? Basically, it was me against the whole, all the guys, and I'm popping them. <laughs> Popping these dudes in the mouth. I had a couple of other strippers were there too, and it was a huge like the balcony opened up into a wide staircase, and they started running down the staircase. And so, I remember them coming down the staircase. I could see them coming running to the staircase, and I met them at the middle of the staircase because the leverage, like I'm not trying to fight uphill because that gives you. A disadvantage. All right. But they're coming to me so I could just kind of duck down and throw them over my shoulder down the stairs. And they would, so their momentum was just, I pulled them down. I get you, yeah, I get you, yeah. And, uh, and then I think two of my boys were there and they kind of pushed the dude out, pushed the dudes out. They pushed them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They pushed them out. Now they're outside. And that, and that, that didn't get their weapons and stuff right now away. They, they go can... pop the trunk. Oh. Like I kept telling them, no, no, don't push them out. And they, but they thought they, you know, they, you know, people, people, a lot of people play checkers. I always play chess, you know. So let's do them here instead of getting them to the trunk. Oh. Now we're stuck in this club. Oh with man! With guys outside, you know who else? I don't know who they're calling. Who, yeah. Or whatever. Um, and so we we actually had to call the cops. Like we wouldn't we wouldn't leave because we called the cops. Dante, you could have died that night, man. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of times I could die, but I mean, you know, you're young and you don't really think of it. I mean, a lot of it is, you know, when I think about it now, there's so many different ways I could have avoided. But at the time, I didn't have the I didn't have the the savvy or the ability to do so. You know. And let me ask you this real quick, man. In that in that instance where they were like taunting you, was that a was that your ego that made you? I'm, I'm curious. What yeah, is that? Yeah, it was probably ego. It was part ego, but but it's it, also, but it is part disrespectful. Like, how do you? Well, how do you now that someone? You gotta understand. I mean, you. I mean, I don't know what your background is, but if I knew, if you let a guy, you know, it's like the punk test. If a guy bumps you and you, he, you know, and you let it go and he bumps you again, okay, the second time he bumps you, he's aware of it. Now yeah. Deliberate. Yeah. So you're gonna have to deal with that. 
if you don't deal with it, it's just going to keep escalating until right. you deal with it. And so a lot of times I would go, okay, this is what the situation is. If I don't deal with this, what is going to be my recourse and how does this escalate? So I might as well get it in now while they're not ready as <laughs> when they, you know, when they're mentally prepared and then I really got a problem. So you so, say you, you would be the initial aggressor, is that what you're saying? Or? Well, I, it, I was never the initial aggressor, but if a guy was giving, throwing me shade and I could see, okay, this is, this is where it's going. You were taking this in? I would go right there right now. Let's, let's do it now. You know, and a lot of that had to do with fear because of the fact that it was the fear of the anticipation of what was going to happen. Okay. So if I take control, I always felt like if I took control of it and I made it happen, at least I'm in control of it, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to waiting and maybe they don't jump bad. Maybe it goes good. Maybe now nah, this is, this is going the way I want to, I wanted to be able to make the decision. I used to say this all the time. Um, never really happened to me personally, but I used to say never suck on the pistol. So what it means, if you get robbed and a dude's got you on the ground and he tells you to put the pistol in your mouth, don't do it. Why? Because if he's going to kill you, he's going to kill you anyway. Okay. And if you don't put the pistol in your mouth, now, now you got the, now you, now you, you're dead because you were sucking on a pistol. You know what I mean? Like you gotta be reasonable about what is going on. You gotta be honest with yourself about what's really going on. Mm. So that means you harm, I mean, you're, no, don't get me wrong, I, I mean, we get, p- people panic and they do things, but most of the time you could kind of get a read on where somebody's at, if if you're paying attention, you know? Mm. I'm curious, man, it, it, in today's day and age, when we got these MMA fighters going around, man, I, I don't know if we could, uh, could you do what you did then now? <laughs> well, I mean, what I was doing even then was kind of like MMA. Like I, okay. I didn't, I never got a black belt from anybody. Oh. Like I never had a black belt, I, but I, I would do two years of judo. I would do a year of, of Pacquiao Kung Fu or, or Eagle Claw and I would box and I would like, I would just bounce around. Like I would go to a, I would go to a dojo. They would beat me up for six months because I didn't know their system and then once I would start to get a feel of their system, because I had a, you know, I had a lot of skills fighting, I would, you know, I would start to get the hang of it, what, how they did things. Okay. And then I would usually disappear and go some other, go to some other school. Okay. Like I took, you know, I took classes in Japanese jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Jeet Kune Do, um, Muay Thai, um, Wing Chun, um, uh, Bagyao, um, he's a, always a student, uh, Eagle Claw. Um, I boxed, um, kickboxing, um, there's a lot of stuff, though, man. Yeah, not yeah. long for Taekwondo, but I would bounce around a year here, six months here, eight months there, and so my fighting style was this kind of eclectic kind of thing that, that we were doing anyway. And yeah. I from um from the the, the the food of Islam too. I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and they all they did jujitsu, but their jujitsu was you know how black people got the flavor. They would take, you know, like it didn't look like anything I had ever seen. It was boxing, uh-huh. it was kung fu, there was a, a mix. And so I kinda did that. So I mean you, you could say 
I mean, you know, people always go that Bruce Lee was the first guy, the first MMA fighter. Okay. Because he, had, he mixed Jeet Kune Do, uh, Western boxing, Muay Thai, and Filipino martial arts, and also mixed grappling arts. So he was mixing already. Uh, but black dudes were doing that in the hood because y- you, you know, the, the circumstances is yeah. different. Yeah. I mean, have you ever heard of... um. Uh, fifth of uh, uh, the of uh, the fifty blocking system. I'm not. It's like, a, it's like a jail martial arts, but the jail martial arts is a bunch of dudes, tough dudes from different disciplines in jail teaching each other different things, and so that's how <laughs> you know they like black folks were doing that before there was UFC. They, yeah, they've always been mixing and matching and stuff like that so you know That's i mean wild, you, you just couldn't do it now because of the the legality you know okay and everybody got cameras right now is an issue yeah but i mean it's also about dudes call the cops nobody's ah. no more um, okay so you know there's that um dude i remember getting smacked around by the cops on broadway and 47th street in manhattan me, me my boy and his girl had a fight with three dudes because the dude said something to his girl. We, and I'm fighting three guys on Broadway and 47th Street. The cops broke it up and they smacked us around and then sent us home. Like that was just, like right now, if that happened, everybody's going to jail. Yeah, yeah, you're right, so man. It was, it was definitely a different era. It is. I'm curious, man, if you don't mind, I would like to hear about your beginner stage in stand up, man. What was that like for you? So um, I always wanted to do it. I, I wanted to. Do, I used to. I was a kid who used to sit up and watch uh, Johnny Carson, David Letterman. Like I was a kid, and I would stay up late, sneak up and listen to it, peek through through my my mom and dad's door when they would, you know, he would. Uh-huh. See and so I I had really obscure comics that you know somebody of my age shouldn't even know. <laughs> so I always wanted to do it, and every once in a while I get a notebook and I would put stuff in in the book. I was doing this clothing line, and I realized that I was doing the clothing line as a way to keep from doing stand-up. The next day, I found an open mic uh, online, and I went, and I started doing comedy. Um, but let me put this, put it like this. I had, uh, so I had, I've been writing stuff, but what I did again was I didn't have a mentor, but I read, I must have read eight books on stand-up, stand-up comedy, how to do it the writing, the structure, joke structure. Because I also didn't think I was funny. Like, I didn't think I... Not that I wasn't, couldn't be funny, but I knew that people didn't laugh at me. Okay. Like, I wasn't a silly... Because you, you, probably, you probably was intimidating them right away. Right. So, so <laughs> I was like, in order for me to do this, I need to have my fundamentals. So I, really, I read a lot of books on comedy writing and stuff. So my jokes were really, really tight and... you know, and structured really well. So it didn't matter how I looked or how intimidating I was. The jokes would work. So that that goes back to that philosophy of just finding a mentor Uh and then uh, accepting the system, you know, the submitting to the system and then absorbing everything that you can absorb, you know. Yeah, it's not like you, uh, you, you like, prepare for it, man. Are you... Yeah, I, well, I was that's the confidence. The confidence, confidence comes comes always from how prepared you are. Okay. You know? Yeah. So uh, I was when you're not prepared. You know, there's nothing worse than 
the teacher telling you, all right, hand up the homework, and you know you didn't do it. Okay. You know? <laughs> I remember that feeling. <laughs> yeah. And and when you did do it, and it was done well, you are you not collecting homework? You know what I mean? <laughs> so. I, I was listening to your stand before you called, man. I think my favorite joke was, um, <laughs> you said this girl wanted you to love her forever, <laughs> and he said she needed to change her name to Heineken. <laughs> 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 well, I was um, I was highly influenced by Patrice. Okay. Patrice Him and I became friends in probably two thousand two, two thousand three, and um, people didn't really get how dynamic he was as a, a standard comedian. Patrice was funny, man. Yeah, he was, a, and not just funny, but he was prolific. Like, um, I don't how think did... there's ever been anybody close to him. How, um, how did you meet him, man? Um, I was I was doing open mics and there was this white girl that I was writing with. I was a crew of us was writing, and she said, "You really, you know, I was I was ahead of the game because I was so prepared. My fundamentals." She was like, "You were, you should meet Patrice O'Neill," and I go, "Who's Patrice? He should meet me." I was like, "He should meet me," <laughs> and um, she was like, "No, he's very very funny." She says he has. She says, and I quote, "I have. He has the." A heart that pl- that pumps a black oily substance, not unlike oil, right? Because he was so brutally honest, people yeah. were intimidated by him. And I was like, yeah, whatever. So when I met him, I met him at the Boston Comedy Club, and I was like, oh, this must be the dude, right? And he just seemed cool, and we we talked and was kicking it, whatever. Because he was he was a dude who was interested in learning too, you know, uh-huh. like he always had a thirst for learning. And we exchanged numbers and stuff, and I remember we called, and I, we, and I told him that story that this white girl said I should meet you, I should meet you, because uh, your heart pumps an oily black substance. And he laughed, and it was like, all right, cool. We hung up, and then he called me back, and he goes, um, let me ask you something. I go, yeah. He goes, um, that chick that said I was a, a evil person, that, that she, he goes, why did you? Why did you talk to me? And I said because I ain't scared of you. You know, okay. like I'm I'm not afraid, and I'm and I wouldn't let somebody. And that's where our friendship started, right from there. Hey, turn over, man. Yeah, dope dude. I miss him a lot. Yeah, yeah man. I'm curious. What uh, how did he impact your comedy career? Or did he impact well, your just, comedy? He was a guy who really pushed the limits. Like he he said, I learning from him. I was like, wow, you could say that? Like, uh. you could be honest like that? Um, so, and that was that was the thing. His honesty, even at the risk of not getting a laugh, uh, even okay. at the risk of offending people. I mean, people, he used to walk a third of the crowd a lot of times. And what, early he, on. What do you mean walk? As in they would walk out? Just piss them off. Piss okay. them off until they would get up and leave. Okay. You know? Um. Now I used to look at that as a badge of honor, but I realize now that was just his ego. Like he kind of, oh. he kind of took, he kind of took to the fact that he can make people uncomfortable and and stuff. He kind of wore it as a badge of he. And now when I headline, I go, man, you know, to punish everybody for something that somebody might have said, or just to be in a mood and allow your ego. To supersede what the job is is to entertain. And entertain. People. It kind of it kind of works against you know it, it, it 
you know, if you have a philosophy, it works against that philosophy, you know? Yeah, I definitely understand that, man. Yeah. Do you think that's kind of why he might not, I guess, blown up as he should have? Oh, he was definitely self-sabotaging. He sabotaged himself every chance. Oh, got. man, that's terrible. But I really don't think it was because of that. I think I think he was really afraid of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, like, so, like, if you do a college and you got a, you got a television show, back then you could make 10 stacks. You do a college, you do 10 stacks. So you could literally go out, do three colleges, and do and and have, make 30 stacks. And that's my that's my that's my annual right. Yeah. That's my annual right there, yeah. man. So he would he would do three stack. He would do three colleges, then sit home and buy sneakers online. You know okay. what I mean? And and just pay his bills off, pay his car note, pay his mortgage. And then just chill until he ran out of money and then he would go out again. But he, you know, it wasn't like he didn't really have a goal of I want to be this or I want to be that. He okay. just did what. In fact, he always thought, always said he was going to quit. I'm quitting comedy. I'm quit. He used to say that all the time. So, but I think he loved it and he loved the attention, you know. And I just, I learned, wow, you can say what you want yeah. to say. You know, yeah, it gave he gave me license to be me. You know, I and say I think uh, about what they thought. You know, yeah, man. I think Elephant in the Room like might be one of like my, one of my favorite uh, stand-up uh, specials, it's man. It's probably one of the most prolific specials. It's I've legit, ever seen. man. It's funny, bro. Um, not only that, but uh, I mean, uh, you know, not just the honesty of it, but um, you know, it, like. He wanted what he said to mean something, right? And I definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm the same way. Uh, you know, I'm the same way. I'm always because, and I think that was how we were. Uh, I think why that was one of the reasons why we were close is because we both kind of had that those same sensibilities. Okay. I think he was a little more um, angry than me. I mean, so I was running around swimming <laughs> in pussy. I mean, but so he, he was more angry than the dude who was knocking people out. He was, yeah. Well, he was angry <laughs> because I would do that and then go and then go get, go to the diner and get a burger. Like it wasn't a, <laughs> like I, it wasn't a thing. Because like every day, no one. Because he didn't really get laid a lot until until he started having fame. Okay. When he started having fame and he started having getting the confidence of his fame is when he started getting laid. Okay. So, and I don't think it was, you know, I mean, some girls just fuck with him because they, you know, because of who he was. But most of the time, it's the confidence. You're, it's the confidence you get from the, the accolades that, you're, that right. you get. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I so, understand that. Yeah, if you're good at something and people kind of yeah. flock to you or something, yeah. You, it gives you self-esteem more, and self-value. You know, yeah, it, just, it knows your value. But what, what I think we don't do is we don't look at that value on the... Uh, so there's things I think that we don't, we don't even advocate. We don't even see it as value. But can, can we cherish those things in the friends that we have. So okay. like loyalty or, okay. or, or honesty or, you know, or just all kinds yeah. of stuff like that, that we, and we love having a honest. friend who are all, who's all of those things. But then when it comes to those those same qualities that we, when we have those qualities, we think that those qualities are worthless. Ah, in ourselves. Okay. Now, I definitely understand that, man. Yeah. I want to, um, can we move on to, I guess, you know, you getting into, 
I know you probably talk a lot about the Black Phillips show, man. Um, but you know, I guess going past the Black Phillips show, you started your own podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. Man, what is it, man? It was Beige, it was Beige Phillips, uh-huh. which was an homage to Patrice and my show, right? Black Phillips show, and I just changed it again to Man School. Man School too, man. I want to ask you, man, for um. You know, you have, you've been doing it for, what, like, six years now? How long you been doing the show? Seven, close to seven. All right, seven years, man. I'm curious, man. Could you, uh, could you give any advice to people who might be starting a podcast now? Because you've been doing it for so long, man. Like, it's the same advice I would tell anybody. You just got to do it. You got to do it? You got to do it. You got to, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I like, I believe same principles. Just find, do the research, find out what you need to do. And then start doing it because it's gonna suck. When you start doing it, it's just like anything else you do. It sucks. Um, it's you saying initially or the whole thing? What you mean? Um, any number of things. You as a as a broadcaster. Okay. 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 The, the process, the whole thing. What when it stops sucking is when you get good at it. Okay. And the only way you get good at good at it is by doing it by practice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you gotta be okay with the, the growing pains it takes to to get good at it, you know. What uh what, what episode do you think you're at right now? Say again. What episode do you think you're at right now? I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you. It's like what, maybe four hundred or what? Something like that, yeah. L D yeah, so you're gonna be you're gonna be my episode seventy, bro. So I'm like <laughs> I can't wait to get to your four hundred, man. Just keep doing it. Just, <laughs> just keep doing it. Um and watch yourself. So when you have things that you say repetitive, I stop. You gotta not do that. <laughs> like you just keep saying, let me ask you something. You said that. So, <laughs> but you, you only see you only see those flaws when you look back on it. Okay. Because especially when you're doing it, there's a nervousness. Right. It's like a nervous thing. When you're doing it, when it's fresh, but that's anybody. So you're not really yourself. You don't really become like I've done. So many interviews. I mean, like, look, I, I, uh, I've been doing a media blitz, right? So, I literally have been doing radio three, four times a week. I've been on okay. different people's shows. Okay. And I, I noticed that, yeah. So I'm not. It, it's like I'm not phased. Like it don't matter. I did a predominant. I did a, a, a predominantly LGBT uh, uh, podcast huge podcast uh today and what you realize is you know like for me you know just my whole thing is all my rules and regulations of what my premises have always been about heterosexual relationships but since then i've had lgbt lgbt community on my show and what i realize is that the same way we talk about men and women masculine and feminine is also in the in the LGBT community. It's also just dominance and submissive. Okay, they're all kind of the same thing. Ah, uh. and so the principles. So again, the principles are so universal that they work for them as well. You just have to know what what matches up. Okay, you know, okay. What the principles are and how they relate to an LGBT relationship, you know? Uh, I think who, I can understand you. Who's the dominant, who's the submissive, and you can tell. I mean, you know, if you shut up and listen, you know. I understand that. You can tell. Is, uh, is, uh, is 
podcasting something that you would like to do full time, or you think you want to stay with the phone company? Can you do it full time? Has a guy in there oh, yet? I'm getting ready. I'm almost done. The only reason why I'm sticking around with the phone company is because uh, I'm trying to figure out when to leave, and I'm trying to take Man School 202 to a next to the next level, and um, it's just not time for me to go yet. But it's close. Well, really what's close. the? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, like, what's the next level, man? Is that for the full time job for you or what? Um. Uh, Maybe even, maybe even radio, maybe okay. serious radio. That'd be awesome, man. But even if I did serious radio, I would do, uh, or I did a, a, a platform, I would still do my podcast. Okay. You know, the game has changed so much, you know, in terms of with social media, it's changed the game. Like when I got in, you know, you tried to get your Letterman, your David Letterman, and then you, right. then you were validated by the industry, and then you move your way up. Now, this is interesting, like the, the, the LGBT uh podcast that I did today, they had did serious radio for ten years. They left serious radio to do their own podcast. And the first episode that they did, they shut their their servers down. Okay. And they had staunch a big following from that. And so the I mean Joe Rogan's podcast is bigger than Fallon. Yeah, he's big you know? man. I like Joe too. It's a cool podcast. Yeah. I mean and then he, the format, and if you think about what he does, his format would be unheard of on television. Sit down and do a three-hour interview with somebody. Right, right, right. Unheard of. Yeah. So what, what you start to realize is that everything that people think they know about about broadcasting and what people like, uh-huh. all the quote-unquote marketing and demographics, they have no idea what they're talking about. Okay. You talk, if you look at now, NBC now has a podcasting platform okay i didn't even know it way later like it, this is new like this yeah. is two or three years and even the ones that did it it's small they're not really they don't even understand the model you know what i mean yeah so you could be a dude who gets four million followers on your instagram and then all of a sudden you your instagram for you're an influencer and you're instagram famous yeah so the game has changed um at one time, I thought Sirius Radio was going to go under because of the subscription. It's like, why is somebody going to pay for radio? Right. But also, you could also ask, why do people pay for water bottles, bottles of water? <laughs> you know, that was all a marketing. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, is that... also, I think the natural course of things is that it's changed where people want access to their fans, to, right. to, to, the, to the people they look up to. Right, and right. Podcasting gives gives you a real yeah uh, like a glimpse into their lives the way they think the yeah, who it, they are there's no there's no produ- i mean whatever nope. production is it is minimal and you're just doing what you do you that's know? just so cool yeah man they, they didn't have this 20 30 years ago man right so they used to you have you know years ago you would have a fan and you'd send them a letter and they would get <laughs> they might answer it yeah statues hand right right so, but now your Instagram, your your Snapchat, your Facebook, literally, uh, I mean, I don't do that, but if somebody's posting fairly, you know what they're doing from moment right. to moment. Yeah. So it's changed the game. It's gotten people closer to their fans, which is, I think, is good and bad because it's bad because they think they know you. The other thing is, you know, I always say this, people work on their, their Facebook profile, but they don't work on their regular profile. <laughs> their real life profile? Yeah, their real life. They don't care about that. They just care okay. about what it looks like on the internet. Right. They want to look and, good for everybody. 
And people are actually taking um, vacations to so that they can Instagram it. You know what I mean? It's I believe not it, about, yeah. It's really not about enjoying the life. It's just doing it so that you can show everybody else that you do dope shit, mm-hmm. which is how could you enjoy that? I mean, I've gone to concerts where people watch the concert through their phone. Right. The concert's right there. Yeah. You're watching it through your phone. So I, I, I think this is an interesting time. And I, it's funny, I was talking to somebody old school. Like, I'm, I'm pretty cool with Maceo from De La Soul. All and, right. Uh, I know De La Soul, definitely. Yeah. And so you had Mace, him on the show. You had Mace, him on the show, yeah, right? Yeah. So Mace, Mace was talking about, you know, how the internet got it all fucked up. But I was like, dog, it's, it, it always swings. Back and forth. I mean, clearly, we went from Obama to fucking Trump. You know, clearly, yeah. the pendulum swings. Two opposite ends, yeah. You know, and it swings to extremes. You know, so, you know. I, I want to ask you this man, real quick, bro. Why don't you Why don't you post your episodes on YouTube? Why don't I? Yeah. Well, initially, it was because it was a way to monetize it. Um, I'm gonna start posting stuff on. Yeah, you on definitely YouTube. should, man. You definitely should, bro. Because it's another way for people to, to see your product, to see you know right, what you're but doing. I also, I also been doing it seven years, and I need to, I, I need to make a living out of this now. I'm I mean, eventually, eventually, you get you, you monetize YouTube, correct? Hold on, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Yeah, um, yeah, but. The model right now, the model is is a little bit different. Like YouTube, you know, if I got on the YouTube game early on, nobody's making money on YouTube unless they're making money on you. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's huge. You got to be huge. And I'm just, you know, I don't know if I'm willing to do what it takes to to be that, you know, to be a YouTube guy. I, I would rather, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm happy with my life now. Oh, Dante. Dante, dude, all you got to do is literally film the episodes and just upload it to YouTube. That's all you got to do. Well, if you see, I just, you see behind me to my left. Yeah, I see, what is that, a webcam or what? No, that, well, that's a, that's a 4K cameras. I'm, I, I'm at, the reason why I'm in the studio now is because I'm, I'm putting up, I'm, I'm mounted cameras. I'm yeah, man. Studio. Yeah. So, I mean, but, you know, I will put excerpts, but I'm not going to put the whole thing because I, you have to filter people so that they can, they, otherwise they're not going to pay for it. I mean, you give them free, but they got to pay for something. Okay. Know? I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, so much time and effort I put into this. Of course. So much time and effort I put into the philosophies and thinking about stuff. I, I want to make a living out of it, you know. Uh, have you heard, have you heard of this dude named Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Come on. All right, man, you got to, all right, I recommend you yeah, take Yeah, but Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk was doing that when nobody was making money on it. You know, uh-huh. I like that dude. But now, you know, it's like what what he's talking about now is like buying Apple stock now. <laughs> I so. You know what I mean? It, the, 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 the horses that are out the barn already. So it's funny because people are actually using Instagram as a video channel. Right. To, 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 so people are mastering that. So it's already... You know the diet. The, you know the the diaspora is always changing, and you gotta yeah. Do, you gotta adapt with it or what? Huh? Is it like adapt with the times or what? Yeah, I mean it's constantly changing, and I mean the technology spent moves so quickly. Oh man! You know somebody says yeah yeah get a YouTube channel. You like yeah dog. You it's you know that's like trying to buy you know like you want to start a dot com now. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Don't know. It's you missed the you missed the boat. You okay. know. Okay. Don't know. 
I mean, like, you know, it's, it's sort of like people are talking about Bitcoin. Now's the time to get into Bitcoin. Um, but a lot of people are going to get caught up right. in the process of, of the thing, just like the dot-com. Remember, dot, remember, I don't know if you remember, um, Yahoo got sold for millions. Yahoo.com got sold for millions of dollars, and then it went bust. <laughs> so, you know, but to the same token, Amazon.com is one of those dot-coms. Yeah, and that is taking over everything. So Amazon's huge, man. When there's every, whenever there's a surge, there's always ninety five percent of everything is scams. But okay. if you can figure out what the five percent is, okay. You know, and and now the thing is different. I mean, I, I would say I have comic friends who have television shows that I don't even know that they have a television show. I mean, okay, because with Netflix and it's so much Hulu like content so out there, yeah. So they the the inmates are running running the asylum now, you know what I mean? Okay. And so this is an exciting time, but you still gotta you you know, you still gotta be aware of what's going on and kind of think, okay, what's the next move? You know? Okay. Now, now I wanna um I wanna ask you this last set of questions, man, we could wrap this thing up, man. Uh-huh. And so I wanna ask you this I guess like we'll call them like rapid fire questions. I want you to try and answer these in like ten seconds or less, all right? All right, cool. Yeah, hey, let's get it, bro. Um, if you could meet anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, hmm. Carl Sagan. So enough. I remember him. Uh, favorite thing to do outside of, I guess, podcasting? Uh, fucking. <laughs> I just said. Why did the chicken cross the road? Um. Uh, because he wasn't listening to his voice. <laughs> I was so. What is the best gift you've ever received? Best gift I ever received? Uh, probably uh, a sincere um, compliment about my comedy from my peers. Okay. Unsolicited. Okay, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Um, control people's minds. <laughs> sure enough. Mm. What is one item you could never live without? Um, laughter. All right. Sure enough. As a child, what did you want to be growing up? I wanted to be a genetic engineer. Okay. Sure enough. Yeah. What advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Um, remove your ego. Okay. So enough. Tell me, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Everybody makes their own mistakes. Okay. Everybody has to make their own mistakes. All right. I feel like I've heard you say this, right? Um, in reference to, like, you don't have to learn algebra. Or you have right. to... Yeah, yeah you, don't, you, you don't have to make people's mistakes. You don't have to make your own mistakes to know you can learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. I think mean, a wise man learns from others' mistakes, right? Yeah. Um, okay, last one, Vedante. Uh, you are stuck on an island for five days. What are three things you're bringing? An axe. An axe. An axe. A... Uh... A magnifying glass. <laughs> I just started fire. Okay. And a water 
filter. All right, sure enough, sure enough. Dante, I think you uh, answered those questions perfect, man. All right, brother. Yeah, I right, Dante, like I said, man, um, I guess I just want to thank you, man, for taking this time of day to talk to you, man. No problem, bro. Anytime. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Dante, man. All right, bro. Yeah, man. Right. So, uh, yeah, just enjoy the rest of your night, Dante. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, man. I wish you the best of luck with um, man school, though. Definitely, man. I really do, I yeah. I appreciate it, man. We're going to do big things. I already know it's it. Happening. Yeah. It's happening as we speak. Yeah, so. yeah, bro. I, I love it, bro. I love Andre. I love Harry, man. So you got the whole squad, bro. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. You should do an, you should do an interview with them. With uh, Harry and Andre? I definitely should, bro. That's a good idea. Yeah. 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 But no doubt, Dante. Man. Like I said, thank you so much, Dante. All right, brother. I'll Take it easy, yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's all it is. Hey everyone, uh, if you made it this far to all to the end of the video, I want to thank you so much. Um, my overall goal with making these interviews and these episodes is uh, to give a voice to dancers. You know, to give them a platform to speak their story. So. Uh, if this is of value to anyone, then that that means the world to me. Um, my overall goal is to give value to the dance community. So if you find no value in this, and I, I urge you to please let me know where I can improve on. Um, I, I truly want to, you know, just uh, give value and content to to the dance community. Um, so please let me know how I can improve, where I'm messing up, because to be 100% honest with you, um, you know, I'm learning along the way as I do this. I, I truly am. So um, to be able to interact with, you know, the dance community, it means the world to me because it, it gives me feedback and it lets me know, you know, what I'm doing right, where I can improve upon, um, you know, what I'm doing wrong, which I feel like might maybe more important. Um, so please, if you all could could comment and just let me know what you think, it, it means the world to me because, you know, that feedback just helps me improve. So um, please comment uh, as well, you know, please like and subscribe. That means a lot as well. Um, but, you know, I want to say thank you so much for for just watching this because it means the world to me. Um, you know, I want to I want to take you on this journey of the Two Love Feet podcast. You know, I'm, I'm very excited for it. So once again, thank you so much.